My name's Olivia. I'm Raven. We are not the default Americans. When we go back in the past for black history, well, now we got a problem. But for white people? How far you want to go? If you want to piss off any everyday average non-black American, just add black. Including black people is not excluding white people. Every damn time we get rights or acknowledgement, it sparks a violent rage. Especially in white people. I am not less deserving just because I'm a black blind woman. Disability makes a lot of people uncomfortable. It affects the psyche of people with disabilities. Like, did we not contribute? Another way to fight against oppression is to celebrate our successes and our progress. We're not completely our oppression. You can sit there and talk about how you think everybody is equal, but do equality, do equity. As long as they're getting what they need, they don't want things to change. Today we're talking about Black children in the fight for civil rights. We are going to focus on the young kids. There are lots of different stories you can find about college students. Mm, We're talking about the babies. We're talking about the little ones. I don't know. We're getting into high school too, but... Shoot, at my age, they all still babies. Yeah, so we wanted to focus on that because you do kind of have to dig to find stories. Yes. Especially personal stories from these people who were kids. So uh, we really wanted to tackle that. And of course, like, we don't hear enough about the kids. It's very much in passing. And there's the the same names that get thrown around. We're going to get into detail about one of those people that do commonly get brought up. But... I don't know. You don't hear about it nowhere nearly as much as you hear about MLK and Rosa Parks, of course. No. Never. So true. So we wanted to shine light on that. Because they went through some stuff. They went through some major shit. The wild part Mm -hmm. is a lot of these kids are now older adults. They're still here. And to everyone else, it's history. But then that's their actual fucking lives. They lived through it. It's kind of like right now, you know, we're living at this very pivotal moment in history. Mm-hmm. And so there's times where I think about I'm just like, what are people going to be saying in a hundred years? What we're going through <laughs> 40, 50, 60 years from now. Mm-hmm. Every present becomes the past. Mm-hmm. It is kind of a mind bender. So what triggered the involvement of children, or rather the adults acting and putting an effort to getting children involved, was the Brown v. Board of Education decision in 1954 that ruled the schools could no longer legally mandate segregation. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. People think, okay, this ruling says that schools had to integrate. Ah, not necessarily. Schools are still segregated to a large extent, mm-hmm. uh, especially in areas with significant diversity. As we've said several times, you can write out the laws, but that doesn't mean it'll change attitudes. Well, and people will come up with other ways yeah. to segregate. Yeah. So, Creative for instance, in New York, and I'm sure New York City is not the only place like this, but there are high schools that kids have to like apply to get into and have to go through an interview process to get into high school. And they say it's a lead, it's this, it's that, but it's a way of weeding out undesirable students. It is. It totally is. And um, you know, New York schools and neighborhoods are incredibly segregated. Sometimes they don't even welcome in students with high achieving grades who are ethnic minorities. Or disabled mm-hmm. people. Anyway, of course, white people had a fucking issue with the Brown v. Board decision. Lost they their collective shit. did not want black kids in their kids' schools. They didn't want their kids sitting in classrooms with black children, riding buses with black kids. But what you might not hear about is that in 1955, the court issued a second opinion, sometimes called Brown too. Have you heard of that? I have not. I didn't look up what the name of the actual case is, what the title mm-hmm. of the case is. The decision there was that schools had to integrate with all deliberate speed. 
whatever that is. Okay. Well, it just means like, yeah, we'll pretend to integrate. Yeah, because the South was like, fuck that. Oh, yeah, the South did not want this shit at all. Yeah, I'm not going to say it was just them, because let's not pretend like everybody else was like, yeah, sure, we're on board with that. No. Nope, we know we got some racist motherfuckers right here in the Midwest. Coast to coast, but especially the South, they lost their shit. We did talk about Claudette Colvin back in February. We did. And the book that was written about her and included interviews of her. And Uh it's by Philip Hoos and it's called Twice Toward Justice. So you can go back and listen to that episode about Claudette Coven. Today, we're going to get into some other folks. So, Olivia, you want to take it away? I'm going to take it away. And I'm going to start with Ruby Bridges, who is known best as the little girl who integrated New Orleans schools. I don't know that I necessarily like putting all of that weight on her. Yeah, one little girl. (laughs) Yeah, just one. All by her lonesome. At age six, she had to be escorted by four federal marshals as she walked into William France Elementary School on November 14, 1960. The protesting white mob hurled slurs, held up cruel signs, one of which read, all I want for Christmas is a clean white school, and even went so far as to bring a black baby doll in a coffin, all geared toward intimidating this child simply because of her skin color. Now, how fucked up is that? Mm, Those were some uh, very Christ-like individuals, it sounds like. listen... And the wild thing is, this was only in 1960, yo. So that's why when I hear people say stupid shit, like, that was forever ago. No, it wasn't. 1960, bro? That wasn't that long ago. I was going to say, my parents were born in the 50s, so that wasn't forever ago. My mom wasn't even born yet. So that shit is wild. So Ruby had attended a segregated kindergarten the year prior. However, after the Brown v. Board of Education, which we already talked about, Louisiana was sort of forced to integrate their schools, but they took their good old time. So like we said, that was 1954, 55. Ruby came in 1960. Louisiana decided to create tests for Black children to see if they could compete on par with white kids. Six children got passing scores, one of which was Ruby. Her parents, they weren't really in agreement with what to do as far as sending her to the school. Her father was against it because he feared for her life with her going to an all-white school, which made sense. Look at what the fuck Yeah, I don't blame anybody who was like, I do not want to send my baby to to desegregate these schools. Like, fuck them white people. I just need my baby to come home at night. Exactly. Unharmed. Now, her mother, on the other hand, wanted her daughter to have educational opportunities that were denied to them based on race. Right. Of the six kids, two students' families chose not to send their children to the white schools. And the other three, they actually all went to a different white school together. That's how Ruby ended up by herself. So many of the white parents took their children out of school and only one teacher who was named Barbara Henry, and she was actually from Boston, teaching down in New Orleans, agreed to take Ruby on as a student. So for the entire year, she was a class of one. She ate lunch by herself, and she brought her lunch because her parents were afraid that she would get poisoned. And sometimes her teacher will play with her at recess, but otherwise she was alone. And it wasn't just Ruby who suffered, right? The whole Bridges family got... Oh, you know they took heat. Man, People knew where they lived they and, so and who knew what heat. harassment they suffered. Listen, it says Ruby's father, Avon, or Abin, not sure exactly how to pronounce his name, he lost his job. And the grocery stores, they wouldn't even sell to her mom, Lucille. I think they said it was the NAACP actually advised Aben to not go and look for another job because they were like, it's not safe for you. Duke couldn't even provide for his family all because his daughter was going to an all-white school and people were mad about it. All because white people all because did not people want a did black not want child. A black little girl just trying to learn next to their kids. Even her grandparents who did not even live in New Orleans. They lived in Mississippi. They were sharecroppers. 
they were evicted from the farm where they had lived for over 25 years simply because Ruby went to that school. This is how vindictive white people were. Vindictive as Just the depth of the hatred for black people. Like, ooh, so many of the people, they just do not understand. It's not like... I think it's a unique thing. I don't understand the depths of hatred white people have exhibited toward black people simply because of their color. Our color. But they get told that they're better than us. You shouldn't have to share a space with don't understand the like you have to it boggles my mind don't want to share a toilet with us can't share a water fountain don't want to share a classroom i think the whole first year she was by herself and by the end of it it was only 18 students whose families other white students mind you whose families let their kids still go to school and the principal who was also against integration this bitch would take the white kids and hide them so ruby couldn't get next to them And eventually, I think they said like towards the end of that year or next year, her teacher fought for her to join some of the other six-year-olds in class. And the little boy, one of the little white boys was like, my mom said, I can't play with you because you're a nigger. And she was like, that's when I got it. You know, now she does a lot of speaking engagements and stuff too. And I'll get to that. But she was saying like, that's when I realized hate is taught. If your parents tell you don't play with somebody, you just don't do it. Because that's what they told you to. That sort of thing is taught. He didn't know any different. He just no. said, my mom said this. And so I'm going to do what my mom says. Right. In 1964, Norman Rockwell, which I don't know why I didn't realize he was still alive at that point. He made a painting of Ruby's first day and entitled it The Problem We All Live With, which I don't like that title because we don't all fucking live with it. I don't like the insertion of I can't even say non-Black people because other people have experienced discrimination, not necessarily on this level, except maybe the Native Americans. I'm always go hard for the Native Americans, but no one can really relate. So to say that we all live with this, nah, I don't like it. It is a problem we all live with, but we experience different angles of it. This picture depicts Ruby's first day and it's got, it's his interpretation of her first day. There's actual video footage. I guess it touched the hearts of a lot of people. I wonder why. I doubt it was because of the little black girl in it, but okay. On the 40th anniversary, I believe it was like 2010, uh, Ruby actually met with Barack Obama and she convinced him, that's the language that they use. She convinced him to hang up the picture in the White House. And he was like, you know, without people like you, I wouldn't be here. Yeah, that's true. Because we're all standing on somebody's shoulders. But the fact is, is that that she had to go through all that as a child is just Mm -hmm. monumentally fucked up. Even worse is there's Black children who've been through worse. There are Black children who have been through through worse. As bad as that was. There are black children who have been through words before and after her. Just for so, being black, though. I remember asking somebody once, it was a white woman, and I was like, why does everybody hate us? I'm just curious because I don't hate an entire group of people. I might dislike some people of a specific group, but it is not because they're that group. The <sighs> thing is, we are a little bit removed from the teachings about the differences between black and white people, right? Just think that eugenics was still happening in the 60s. Still a very big push about how black people have smaller brains and how animalistic we are and we're inherently violent. Some people still believe that bullshit. And there's people who believe it and they teach their children to hate us. Their children just hear them talking about how black people are stupid and Mm -hmm. lazy, good for nothing, blah, blah, blah. But they don't hear the ideology behind it about how there was some dumbass scientific study saying that we had smaller brains than white people and all this shit. It's important to look at that ideology. I don't understand the hate. That hate type of stuff is just... Mm -hmm. It's beyond me. Okay, if all that stuff was actually true. And you looked at black people as a lesser. How does that mean that you hate people, though? Right. It definitely means that you don't think we're capable individuals, um, which a lot of people don't still. Yeah. But the hatred, but I guess that's where the inherently violent thing 
comes from, right? Like they're violent, they're disgusting, right? I That's guess. part of that whole animalistic piece. Isn't it is, weird? Is a big part of it that they are a hell of a lot more humane toward animals than they are to black people. And yes. black people are the same species as you, but you have more compassion for a fucking dog. Don't get me wrong. I love dogs too. And well, I do like dogs more than I like most people. That is true. But at the end of the day, a dog is a dog and a human is a human. But they're not allowed to treat us like dogs. And that's why they hate us. Hmm. You have a point. Maybe they are mad that they can't. <laughs> they're just, if I, you allow me to treat you like the animal I see you as, we wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> yes. Except for when they were treating us like animals, they still hated us. <laughs> They're just sick people. That's what it is. There's something inherently wrong there. However, Ruby has faith because in 1999, she created the Ruby Bridges Foundation in New Orleans. So its purpose is to help in the fight against racism. She's hoping that we can all see the humanity in each other. She wants to promote respect and equal treatment to all races and all differences. Oh, God. She wants to at least make the world, or at least New Orleans, a more tolerant place. We're having an issue with this right now. Sorry, very unfortunate. I don't think people are capable of it. Well, we are working on going back to 1960. I mean... They're trying hard as hell. Yeah, we're time traveling right now. Whoever mm -hmm. said time travel was impossible, they need to take America a look at that. Uh, hold my bear. Let us show you exactly how to do it. But yep. So she's hoping that she could help encourage the children of this generation to not perpetuate the racism of their four parents. Well, I think that will be effective, Ruby, because... um. It's not this generation that we have to worry about promoting it now. We have to worry about them suffering, yeah. but they're not going to promote this bullshit. Most of them are not. I mean, you could tell people are waking up a little bit. Gen Z is pretty fucking awesome. I can't lie. For the most part, Gen Z is doing a damn thing. So we pushed the needle forward. And when people said that, I used to be like, why? why is it just by increments? But I think someone said this. I don't remember who it was. We're not going to undo three centuries of slavery and then 100 plus years of Jim Crowism in like 60 years. But we mm -mm. keep fighting for the tomorrow of our, our descendants, basically. I see what she's trying to do with her foundation. And there are others like it around the nation trying to do the same thing. And I have hope it will take <laughs> at least another century or so, but we'll get there. Eventually, we'll get somewhere. Yeah, we'll get somewhere. We'll get halfway there, maybe. That might be the capacity at which mm -hmm. it can be changed. This country is a mess. I am going to talk about the Little Rock Nine. I did not hear about these kids until I was an adult. When I was a child in elementary school, the only kids I learned about in the civil rights movement were Ruby Bridges and I feel like there was another little girl we talked about. I'm not going to remember her name. I did learn about the Children's March, which we're going to talk about in this episode. So in response to the Brown decisions and pressure from the NAACP, the Little Rock, Arkansas School Board set forth a plan of gradual integration. Because, you know, you don't want to piss the white people off too much. And do it too fast. Shit, it's wild. So it started with Little Rock Central High School. The summer of 1957, Daisy Bates, president of the Arkansas NAACP, recruited nine high school students she believed possessed the strength and determination to face the resistance to integration. They were. I'm going to name these people. I bet each one of these folks deserves a Black Beauty highlight. Mm -hmm. Students were Minnie Jean Brown, Elizabeth Eckford, Ernest Green, Thelma Mothershed, Melba Patillo, Gloria Ray, Terrence Roberts, Jefferson Thomas, and Carlotta Walls. Before the school year started, these students participated in intensive counseling sessions on what to expect and how to respond. Essentially, how to deal with the fact that they were going to be 
harassed and mistreated and abused by white people even more than they anticipated, right? Because these are teenagers, so they knew what white people were capable of, right? They were children at the time where people were still being lynched, so they knew who white people were. And I think it's great on the part of the NAACP to actually have put these kids through the counseling sessions. That was brilliant. And it'd be interesting to know what those counseling sessions entailed. But Mm -hmm. did they talk to civil rights leaders who had already been imprisoned and, you know, been through all of that nonsense? I'm sure they were already aware of some of it. Yeah. So that was so responsible of them. Two days before school opened on September 2nd, 1957, Arkansas's governor ordered the National Guard to bar black students from entering the state schools, stating it was for their own protection. Wow. I understand that sentiment. I don't believe it. Oh, I'm sure he was getting all sorts of phone calls. Mm-hmm. When the NAACP was preparing kids to go to that school and when they passed that gradual integration bill and stuff, I'm sure so many representatives, including Arkansas's governor, were getting phone calls. And who knows the violence and vitriol that they heard? Mm-hmm. Oh, letters, right? This is the 50s. All the letters of hate. All the hateful letters. I cannot imagine what he saw and heard from to say his constituents. For the black kids' protection, I don't believe that they really care too much about those black kids. Yeah, I mean, I see what you mean. Like, his interest was really in just not further pissing off his white constituents. Mm-hmm. I, I see. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that was actually the case. I'm sure um, he probably didn't care. I haven't looked into this person. September 3rd, federal court judge... Richard Davies, issued a counter-ruling that desegregation would proceed when these nine black students tried to enter the school building on September 4th. They were greeted by a mob of hateful white students and parents and the National Guard. Mm -hmm. The white protesters harassed the black students for just trying to walk in the fucking door. They screamed racial slurs at them, and they were spitting on them. Ultimately, the National Guard prevented the students from entering the school. For most of that September, there was a legal back and forth just to integrate this one school right? They couldn't even get kids in this one school. To me, I just think about what was going on at other schools around the state, around the South. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, this is just one school. Just one. The Little Rock School Board spoke out against the governor getting the National Guard involved. President Dwight Eisenhower tried to persuade the governor to enforce the court's ruling to proceed with desegregation rather than work against it. September 20th, Judge Richard Davies ordered the National Guard removed from the school. And then the Little Rock Police Department stepped up to maintain order because we know how proficient police are at maintaining order. (laughs) Three days later, the police attempted to escort the students to school, but were met by an angry mob of 1,000 white protesters. I'm jumping ahead just a tad here, but what I cannot believe is that police will arrest black people for protesting. And this has happened today. This happened at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the stories I'm going to talk about, a judge passed an order against public demonstration, which I don't even know how you can do that. That's not even fucking constitutional. But anyway. Oh, they've tried it. They tried it in 2022. Oh, they're about to try it now, too. So... That is the justification for arresting black kids and black people for protesting. But you're going to let these white people protest. And then your solution to that is to be like, okay, well, we just need to remove the black people from the situation. Uh That's some major bullshit. But white people, they're never held accountable for the bullshit that they cause. Or if they are, it's very rare. It's not on a whole scale the way other 
non-white people are called to the carpet. Like, instead of dispersing the crowd, like you would have done if this was an angry mob of Black people or the way you did when people were, I don't know, peacefully protesting with fire hoses and and dogs and shit, you sick dogs on people protesting, doing nothing, but you got an angry mob of white people and your solution is to withdraw, disengage, and let them be all unruly and outrageous. Wonder why that is. I don't have to wonder. I know why. Every black fucking person who's not a coon ass motherfucker knows why. And then I don't understand the people who act like the police don't treat them differently, though. Man. I'm sorry. I don't know what rock you're living <laughs> under, but it's time to roll it over. Okay. Little Rock's mayor asked President Eisenhower to send federal troops to enforce integration. They had to do it with slavery and they having to do it with fucking school integration, bitch. It's fucking wild. Federal so troops. Wild. September 24th, President Eisenhower ordered the 101st Airborne Division to Little Rock. And he federalized the entire 10,000 members of the Arkansas National Guard and took authority away from the governor. <laughs> Set. This is for nine black kids to go to school. They just trying to go to fucking school. Oh my God. And he what? had to essentially enact martial law. <laughs> Not quite, but you know what I mean. All That's some bullshit. Nine children. We're trying to go to school. And also, this is how hateful white people are. This is how hateful and freaking depraved. And this is white people's today. This day, grandparents, they great grandparents. It depends on what generation you are. So yeah. it could very well be a great grandparents. This wasn't that fucking long ago. You still got people alive. Oh, it was great grandparents, too, because it was students and adults harassing these kids. Mm-hmm. So when people again... When they say shit like it was in the past and we need to move beyond that, it's not the fucking distant past. And who do they think is raising the people who Ooh. are racist assholes right now? Exactly. Oh, because that shit do not exist in a doesn't vacuum. exist. They do believe because we don't have slavery and because we have integrated schools on paper that there is no such thing as racism anymore. That's why. Like, this shit is wild. I remember, and I'm not going to step too much on your toes, I hope. But I remember we had to watch the Little Rock Nine every fucking year in middle school. And they didn't even take it into account how fucking traumatizing that was for black kids. They were like, oh, this is history. We need to learn it. Yeah, we did. But y'all never took the black kids aside. I'm like, y'all okay? Because I know I was not okay. This shit was fucking traumatizing to me. Yeah, it's interesting, too, because some of the content for this episode I pulled out of a this is a teacher's guide or something that we found um, with some stories in it. I'm sorry, some uh, book awesome. summaries. Oh, yeah. But it's got guided questions to talk about with the students in it. That sort of a thing is important because we need to be taught how to process exactly. that content, especially when people are so malleable. But the fact that they don't do that with children, with non-white children in general, that's part of the failure of our education system in general, where there's not a lot of critical thinking that's promoted. It's just consume the content, pass the test, write the paper, pass the test, read the book, pass the test, and not a lot of critical thinking about what you just saw. How does it impact you? How does this apply to your life today? It went really in-depth in this teacher's guide because it was asking the kids questions about what would they do if they were Mm -hmm. in a situation like this? How would they take civil action and and things of that nature? Because it doesn't matter what generation you're in, you may have the potential to deal with the legal system, especially when you live in a society where you can protest and then you are a minority or You're an accomplice with a minoritized community and y'all are about to get y'all asses in the dirt, boots on the ground, and you know that you might have to deal with criminal police officers. Uh So, I mean, these are all reasonable questions. We're not going to leave it in the past. How were people expecting us to leave it in the past when you still still got black people and other people of color being targeted? We got elderly people being targeted. Now the fucking kids. We're supposed to leave that in the past and pretend it's not a fucking racial issue. At least some of the time is a racial issue. 
And it's definitely a racial issue when you talk about who's perpetuating and, and perpetrating these crimes. But okay, let me, ooh, <laughs> ooh, ooh, okay. Mm. On the student's first day of class, they had to be escorted by army troops. Wow. This did not stop legal challenges or protests to integration. And the 101st Airborne Division stayed at the school the entire year. The nine black students faced verbal and physical abuse. Somebody threw acid in Melba Patillo's face. Gloria Ray was thrown down a flight of stairs. I remember that. In May 1958, Ernest Green was the first black student to graduate from Little Rock Central High School. The next year, the school was closed after local citizens rejected by a three-to-one margin, a petition to officially integrate the school. That's fucking wild. We'd rather have no school We'd at all than no go to school, school with black, with black people. Kids. What? Not surprising, though, because it's expected. It's expected of them. Again, the depth of the hatred. It goes so deep. And that's the superior race. I need somebody to help. I don't know. Help me understand, I'm please. I'm going to have to retract that soul part. But I don't get it. If you're so superior, then what are you afraid of? Because anger and stuff has a root in fear. So what are you afraid of? You're so superior. You shouldn't have anything to worry about, right? We're animals, right? We have smaller brains than you. We're, we're not as capable as you. So why are you so fucking terrified? But also, like, if you're so superior, why do you devolve into behaving like, like what you say other people behave like? I can't even call that animalistic. Because no, it's not. Animals would not animals even behave that way. Animals don't do that. Except maybe some other primates. But even they have a fucking reason. Humans, these people take it to the most depraved fucking base ass level and then turn around and call everybody else a fucking animal. All these kids, you closed the whole fucking school. They did for a whole year. For a whole year. The school reopened in 1959. And am I mixing this up with somebody else's story? I think I read somewhere that, like Ruby Bridges, they were also still within that school, segregated from the white students. And so they were on a different floor for their classes or for their education than the other students. On a different floor floor of the school come on the remaining little rock nine students went on to graduate they pursued careers in government the media and the military in 1999 president bill clinton recognized the nine for their significant role in civil rights history he awarded them the congressional gold medal and in 2009 all of them were invited to President Barack Obama's first inauguration. So I heard about these girls in a documentary I was watching. They're known as the Leesburg Stockade Girls. And I have to say, when I first heard it, it just rubbed me the wrong fucking way. I was like, yeah, I don't like referring fuck. to them. But hey, if you Google, that's what's going to come up. In July of 1963, 15 girls from Americus, Georgia, were jailed for civil rights protesting, essentially. They marched from Friendship Baptist Church to the Martin Theater on Forsyth Street. They decided to go against Jim Crow laws and buy tickets at the front gate instead of entering through the back alley, as was normal for black people. Oh, no. Oh, how dare they? And of course, this set the local white people off. They were like, the fuck? They called the cops, because you know that's their thing, who proceeded to viciously attack, then unlawfully arrest the girls. They were jailed for 45 days in deplorable conditions in the Leesburg Stockade, which was a Civil War era holdover situated in the backwoods of Leesburg, Georgia. Which, from all of my research, says it was like 20 miles away from Americus. So not even thrown in, like, the, jail, the jail. city jail. No, they took but come some on. backwards Civil War holdover bullshit. All 15 girls were between the ages of 12 and 15. Their parents had no clue where they were, 
And they also didn't know about the conditions in which they were being kept. They had to sleep on the floor. There was a non-working toilet. They were barely fed. The girls were just in there crying and stuff like that. They didn't have changes of clothes. They didn't have sugar. Listen, these are children. And all because they wanted to buy tickets at a theater. Not to mention, like I said, the cops had already beaten them and stuff before they threw them in there. The girls were discovered by a SNCC photographer a month into their confinement. For people who don't know what SNCC is, that was the I'm Student sorry. Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Yes, thank you. His name was Danny Lyon, and he snuck onto the stockade grounds and took pictures through the bars of the windows. SNCC soon published the story which was then picked up by other African-American newspapers across the country. And that's when they were like, oh shit, people know about these girls. This brought national attention to the girls' plight. And shortly thereafter, on September 15th, 1963, they were released back to their families. And bonus, no one was ever charged. Oh, I feel like that happens in all these cases. I'm sure, oh, for sure. I, I'm sure the police... We're not held accountable. At fucking hell. In They're any of these fucking situations. fucking held accountable today. Oh, surely, surely not then. Oh, yeah. They get a little suspension now. And then what? I think they've only, them. what have they only imprisoned? Administrative leave. They've imprisoned, <laughs> what, like one police officer? One. Mm-hmm. But yeah, little girls, you'll find some of the research that one of them was pregnant. She was still a little girl, though. That doesn't matter. It doesn't. All the more reason to not mistreat her, but it doesn't matter. They're black children. They're fucking kids. I encourage you to Google it, to Google the Leesburg Stockade Girls documentary and hear the women tell it in their own story. I mean, in their own voices. It's one thing to hear it secondhand, but when you get it from the primary source, like they live that shit. I'm going to link to it on our Facebook page. Okay. I'm going to talk about the Children's March of 1963 in Birmingham, Alabama. And there were protests by children all around the country, all around the South, especially because the South still had segregation written into its laws. So Birmingham, Alabama was one of the most notoriously racist cities in the South, home to one of the most violent chapters of the Ku Klux Klan. Because of this, civil rights leaders from the Southern Christian Leadership Conference focused their efforts in Birmingham, getting black people registered to vote, and working to desegregate public facilities. This is where a circuit judge issued an injunction against public demonstration. Not because of the KKK, I'm sure. (laughs) May 2nd, 1963. Three to 4,000 black children skipped school and gathered at the 16th Street Baptist Church for instruction. And this, by the way, was very common. Lots of protests left from churches that is and was a common meeting place for black people. And we have an episode coming up in the future about the black church's role in black liberation. To me, that history is just fascinating, and I think it's one of the things that separates the black church from other churches. I mean, church nowadays is heavily politicized. This is essentially what pastors do nowadays, right? Just push their politics. But that's not what it was about. It was really about educating black people, mobilizing black people, and just getting them involved to advance black freedom, to make social and economic progress for themselves. So the kids marched toward downtown to talk with Birmingham's mayor about segregation. And for people who don't know, during a lot of these marches, people, you know, the kids did this too, but the adults also, while they were marching, they would just be singing hymns, singing, you know, Negro spirituals, praying, um, reciting prayers. This was very common. When I went to the Henry Ford Museum back in February. They actually have recordings of it. People would be 
singing and praying while they were marching and also while they were being arrested. And you would just keep singing the hymns and praying all the way to jail. And that was the way to keep yourself grounded, keep yourself staying nonviolent, right? Because there was an importance placed on nonviolent action. There is a very long history of Black people unifying and coordinating with the usage of spirituals and hymns. This goes back all the way to the fucking fields, y'all, and beyond, of course. The docuseries Lincoln's Dilemma that we released an episode on actually talked about this, too, that to keep each other coordinated and all working at the same pace Black people would sing songs in the field so that no one person was working faster or slower than another. And that Mm -hmm. was a form of protest. That's really fucking fascinating to see like that sort of thing still has its place, at least in this movement it did. As the children approached City Hall, they were rounded up by the police and hundreds were escorted to jail in paddy wagons and school buses. Dr. Martin Luther King actually visited the students in jail and he spoke to them with the message, what you do this day will impact children who have not been born. The next day, the march resumed um, because this went on for at least a week, at least this children's march. Mm -hmm. When the march resumed, the police were waiting for them with fire hoses, clubs and police dogs. Children. For children who were just marching, though, like, it's not like they were gathering to vandalize. (sighs) Birmingham Public Safety Commissioner Eugene Connor, the piece of shit he was, personally ordered his men to attack these kids. And I'm going to read a word for word excerpt from this article that I'm essentially paraphrasing from. Immediately, the area exploded with high pressure water cannons and barking dogs. The children screamed as the water tore at their clothing and flesh. Some were pinned against walls, others were knocked off their feet. The dull thud of nightsticks hitting bone began as police grabbed children and hauled them off to jail. Wow. That's what police did to kids who were exercising their right to peacefully assemble. That's some bullshit. Even the shit that we saw with the BLM protests. Same shit, different time period. And of course, the news media caught all this shit on camera. So protests continued and these news stories circulated throughout the country, spreading these images of police brutalizing these kids. And people were horrified at that. To me, I'm just like, did you really think this wasn't happening? Like, you didn't think the police would go after kids. I don't understand. The police have never had a problem going after black kids. Never. And killing them. Nope. Are you really horrified? Like they wait till you 18 to kick your ass? I don't understand what's going on. (laughs) Birmingham businesses begin to feel the pressure as the entire city was held accountable for the actions of the police, Um, which it should be, especially the city officials. How you not going to keep their ass in check? Garbage. The city officials met with civil rights leaders and worked out a plan to end the demonstrations. And it says on May 10th, city leaders agreed to desegregate businesses and public facilities. Whatever. That's just when they made that fucking decision. Who knows what other violence people doled out and endured in order for that to even happen talking about taking girls off to jail for entering the front door of a theater, right? Because it's like, okay, desegregate, but then you... Well, they didn't even get that far, remember? They were just trying to buy tickets. Right. I wanted to talk about some personal anecdotes from that time, um, because, you know, we've been reading a lot from these articles, and so I wanted to put some personal stories in here. The teacher's guide that I was talking about earlier mentioned this book by Cynthia Levinson, and it's called... We've Got a Job, the 1963 Birmingham Children's March, and this book received the Jane Addams Book Award in 2013. It chronicles the protests that took place two years prior to the march and violence in Selma. So one of the stories is from Audrey A. Hendricks, and she was born into a family of activists. 
and they attended mass meetings at her church. Audrey participated in nonviolence training at a young age. She was eight. It was so little. Wow. And she joined the Children's March. She left with the children in a large group, and they were arrested, of course. Audrey was imprisoned for six days and then released with roughly 500 children. An eight-year-old little girl was in prison. Y'all, this is the type of shit that people want to sweep under the rug. Like the civil rights movement only involved grown people. And yes, some terrible things happened. We won't be specific about it. Like you want to sweep that under under the rug for what? Because they know it was shameful. What they did to these children. You don't want white people to hear that, though. You don't want people to know how fucked up their ancestors was. That's all these people who are afraid and don't the understand what the America. fuck. Pro-America. Pro-America and the people who are afraid of critical race theory, even though they don't know what the fuck they're talking they about. <laughs> and they're like, well, we don't want certain subjects like civil rights and stuff taught in schools. We don't want to hurt the white kids' feelings. How do you know that your white kids are going to identify with the people who did all those terrible things? Because there were white people who weren't doing those terrible things, who were activists and fighting for it. Teach about the white people who was coming through, though. That's their mm-hmm. fucking problem. Their first reaction is, oh, we don't want to hurt the white kids' feelings because they're going to feel like they're the monsters. Like, how do you know they're going to identify with the monsters? Because that's all they're going to fucking teach about. Because they don't know how to cover these subjects correctly. Teach about the white people who came through. You don't have that issue. Anyway, James W. Stewart and approximately 1,000 other students were expelled for their participation in the march. So not only did you have a bunch of these kids being dragged off to jail, you also had some of them being expelled. Not all of them were arrested. Uh, Lawyers working within the movement sued the Birmingham Board of Education and won, obviously, because what the fuck? What the actual fuck? Arnetta Streeter was a student who also had parents who were activists. As a high school student, Arnetta, along with several friends, were founding members of the Peace Ponies. The Peace Ponies. And they were a social club inspired by the sermons of Dr. MLK and other activists and civil rights leaders. The Peace Ponies participated in nonviolence workshops and then in several public demonstrations. And they did participate in the Children's March. They were attacked by fire hoses. Arnetta was not arrested. So those were some personal anecdotes from the Children's March. I wanted to share this last one. Apparently, the NAACP had youth councils in some places. I didn't know that. From. The Civil Rights History Project, I pulled one of their stories about Clara Looper. She attended numerous meetings of the NAACP Youth Council in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, because her mother, Marilyn, was the leader of that group, and she was also eight. They, as children, participated in sit-ins and helped desegregate a drugstore's lunch counter in Oklahoma City. Through the sit-in with little kids. I'm just like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of those things that it's cute and terrifying at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's adorable that these children are passionate about advancement for black people, but also like terrifying to know that there is hatred out there for these little children. Like you hate them just as much as somebody who has actually committed a crime. Well, or a black person who's committed a crime. It's just pathetic. It's beautiful that these children, but they were just like all kids. They were taught like this is the right thing to do. These little children were taught this is how activism is done. And they were, you know, this is their mother's milk. Their parents are activists and stuff. So this is what they see. This is what they're taught to believe in. So I think, yes, it's beautiful that they did it. But it's to me sad that they had to. Oh, absolutely. Lastly, I wanted to talk about the Civil Rights History Project. May 12, 2009, the U.S. Congress passed the Civil Rights History Project Act. This law directed the Library of Congress and the Smithsonian Institute's National Museum of African American History and Culture 
to conduct a national survey of existing oral history collections pertaining to the civil rights movement and to record and make widely accessible new interviews with people who participated in the struggle. The project was initiated in 2010 with the survey and with interviews beginning in 2011. The Civil Rights History Project contains more than 1,200 items consisting of digital video files, digitized video cassettes, digital photographs, and full-text transcripts for all interviews. The interviews are also accessible through the library's YouTube channel and the website for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. Until you brought this up, I didn't even know about it. And that's the thing, like things like this are not talked about. I know a lot of Black people, they're like, oh, the Obama administration ain't do shit for Black people. And I'm like, I was one of those people. I'm like, fuck the Obama administration. (laughs) But I didn't know about this. It's one of those things that we have to dig for. And unfortunately, with all the legislation that's being passed about the things we can and cannot talk about in the classroom, it makes it even harder. Like, our history already just barely got covered when you and I were coming up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's so many things that we learn now where it's like, damn, I ain't never heard about this. Okay. Right. And now it's about to be even less than that, which even is... Even less. Isn't that wild? That's so disturbing and, and just difficult to imagine and disheartening. Yeah. It's very disheartening because I'm like, the only way this country will be what it's supposed to be is if we acknowledge... No, if white people acknowledge the fuckery that this country is built upon, Mm -hmm. because majority of the rest of us, we know. We know. But it is the white majority at large. I know there's some individuals, but at large, the white majority refuses to come to terms with the fact that their ancestors did some fucked up shit and that is why we are where we are and that they do still have a lot of internalized racism even if it's not a yes exactly they don't understand how the shit from the past influences what happens today they really don't because they so don't many of them they understand that there was fucked up shit in the past but they refuse to believe that it has anything to do but with then, how we treat each other today and that is a luxury to be able to divorce yourself and say, oh, well, that was then, things are different now. If you paid attention, you realize ain't shit really changed, but the date, nah, you ain't got people picking cotton, but we still have modern day slavery, i.e. the prison industrial complex. We still have pipeline to prison from schools and shit like that. We have a lot of fucked up shit. We still have eugenics going on. There's still a lot of shit going on. It just changed clothes, but it's the same underneath. So unless and until white people can come to terms with the fact that this country and their ancestors have done some really terrible things and it was despicable and we will try and do better, then we'll continuously be having the same conversation and they'll keep trying to whitewash and erase history to preserve white fragility, really, and white supremacy. This is Intersectional Insights. If you like our content, leave us a rating or review to help the podcast. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you have any comments, questions, or topic suggestions, you can email us, intersectionalinsights at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening.